before I jump into the message, I got to give a bunch of shout outs um, for Fall Fest last Sunday, which was phenomenal. So phenomenal. In fact, everyone who helped out with Fall Fest last Sunday, why don't you stand to your feet so that we can clap our hands for you today. Look at this. Look at this. People all over the place. Yeah, man. So good. Our estimates was right around 800 people were here last Sunday. I know. Pretty incredible. And everything went smooth as silk. Can I get an amen? And, and cotton candy was a hit. I don't know about your kid the rest of the day, but we were fine. Uh, and, and I got to give a shout out to all of our staff who worked so hard behind the scenes to make so much happen and organize so much. And um, the, 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 the behind the scenes hero of it all is Jay Cherry, who organizes things so well and just puts things in such a good place that it's easy for us to execute. And so I just want to honor all of you, honor all of our staff for working so hard to make a really good event happen. And uh, it's an honor, really, and it's a blessing to be able to provide that for our church family as well as our community. And uh, we always get so much good feedback um, from that event. But once again this year, thank you so much for all of your your hard work and even some sweat last week, man. We were sweating a little bit, but we were doing, they call that kingdom sweat. Amen? Kingdom sweat. When you're changing lives, it's a little bit of work. It gets sweaty. And so, all right, let's jump into the message today because I want to kick off a new series. In John chapter 12, verse 1. Are y'all ready for Thanksgiving? It's happening, man. We're in full swing of the fall. Yesterday, Cynthia had me get down the fall stuff so she could decorate the front door. Not the Christmas stuff, she said. She wants me to do a whole entire message how you're not supposed to do Christmas until after Thanksgiving. But I don't want to lose a lot of you, so I'm just not going to say anything. But I had to get that tote out the attic yesterday because all my help moved out. And, uh, <laughs> and where they put all that stuff, man... Yeah, I had to find it, and then I'll get to do it again for Christmas. So I coached Ella Pearl up yesterday about helping me. She needs to experience the attic. Amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. Read a little bit. So six days before the Passover began, Jesus went back to Bethany, the town where he raised Lazarus from the dead. That's like a big flex to start a story right there. Am I right? Out of all the things we can say about Jesus, they said, let's start John chapter 12 talking about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And I like that. Verse 2, they had prepared a supper for Jesus. I like that too. And Martha served, and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Isn't that cool? Jesus raised him from the dead, and now he's going over to have supper at the guy's house. That is incredible, man. I wonder what she cooked. Verse 3, Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with nearly a liter of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet, and then she wiped them dry with her long hair, and the fragrance of the costly oil filled the house. Watch this in verse 4. But Judas... The locksmith, Simon's son, the betrayer, that's a list, spoke up and said, what a waste. We could have sold this perfume for a fortune 
and given the money to the poor. In fact, Judas had no heart for the poor. He only said this because he was a thief and in charge of the money case. I got a feeling they didn't like Judas a whole lot, just by what I'm reading here. A little aggressive. He would steal money whenever he wanted from the funds given to support Jesus' ministry. And Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone. She has saved it for the time of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that still speaks. And I pray, Father, that we will have ears to hear. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us. But, Father, I pray we will hear you. So, Lord, today, give us ears to hear what you want to speak to our hearts and help us, Father, to not just hear it, but to put it into action in our lives. Not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of it. So, Lord, I ask for your help today. Share this message. I pray I just won't say something to everyone here, but it'll be said and be spoken into their lives. So, Father, just simply use me today as a vessel to turn the light on so that they can see you, so they can know you like they never have before. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today, I want to start a new series called Legacy. Legacy. And this story happens days before Jesus is to be crucified. It's just several days before he is set to be crucified. And Jesus goes to visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. And Jesus is pretty popular here, obviously, because he raised Lazarus from the dead. There's a lot of cool things that people can do. But when you start, you start walking in the limelight of raising someone from the dead, I think people look at you a little bit differently. I mean, I've never done it, but I would just assume that if you, if you were working on that, that level of miracles, that people would kind of look at you a little bit differently. And then to be going have dinner at the home of the man that you raised from the dead, that's just extra special. Am I right? Like, I mean, what, what looked like could have been this terrible tragedy has now turned into this incredible story that people were still trying to wrap their minds around. And here is Jesus that is not just performing the miracle, but actually getting to enjoy the fruit of the miracle that has taken place. And so they invite Jesus to their home for a supper. Come on, we're going to have some supper. And you've heard the story about Mary and Martha. If you've been in church any time, there's always the famous servant, uh, message that talks about how Martha was a servant and Mary was the sitter. She liked to sit at Jesus' feet. And then all the people who like to serve say that Mary was the lazy one because she was sitting at Jesus' feet. And then all the spiritual people say, well, Mary was doing the greater thing because we got to press in and get closer to the Lord. And it's amazing how we like to choose our people and choose our sides, even in the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like, like some of you would say, I identify with Mary because I like to sit at Jesus' feet. And then others of you, you like to identify with Martha because you know nothing just happens and somebody's got to get the work. If we're going to have supper, somebody's got to cook it. Amen? You can't just come sit at the table. Somebody's got to cook it. Or we can order. That wasn't an option then. But now DoorDash, in the middle of the game, I'm not trying to push them or anything, but they got the little code on the screen that in the middle of the ball game, if you don't want to get up, you just hit the button, order online, and they'll deliver it to your door. Now, you might pay three times what you would in the restaurant, but if you want to, you could do that. And so there's always this debate about 
the Mary and the Martha. Which one are you? And, and can I go ahead and settle the debate? Quit trying to be like Mary. Quit trying to be like Martha. And let's choose to be like Jesus. Which means you're going to have to serve and you're going to have to do some sitting. Because some of y'all got some nervous energy and don't know how to sit down. And you need to have a seat sometimes. Amen? Some of y'all like, I'm declining next week. No, you're not. You're going to hit, yes, I'm going to serve. You can sit down tomorrow. Okay. Then there's this guy in the story named Judas. And we're pretty familiar with Judas because he was one of the disciples. And, and out of all the disciples, Judas is the treasurer. Look at your neighbor and say, of course he is. Of course he is. He's the treasurer. He's the guy that you would not trust with the money, so let's put him in charge of the money. Can I just tell you, in all of corporate America, I don't think Jesus, his plan, was going to work out too well at your office the way y'all have it set up. Because Jesus put Judas kind of on the spot. If you got a problem with money, let's put you in charge of it so we can help you with it. And Judas didn't pass that test too well. Because he was the one that agreed to betray Jesus, which this is about to happen. I need y'all to get the whole setting here. We're days away from Jesus being crucified, and we're only a couple of days away from Judas agreeing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Like, I want, I want you to get the weight of this. This is a man who has been following Jesus. Jesus has given him opportunity, and he is about to betray Jesus in a few days and hand him over to be crucified for 30 pieces of silver. Now, all these people are gathered together and they're at this supper because they want to pay respect and honor to Jesus because he's a hero to them. I mean, if Jesus works a miracle that's significant in your life. You don't just wave at him and send, you, send him a thank you card. You invite him to the house. And I don't know how it works at your house, but when you have a gathering, you can get a lot of things done you've been needing to get done. Am I right? Like you halfway remodel the house, halfway remodel the yard. If somebody like Jesus is coming over, am I right? I hadn't had Jesus come to the house physically, but I've had other people, and I want you to know, we fixed a few things up before you came. I'm serious. We put a few things out, made it look nice, lit a candle for you. Yeah, and it doesn't stink in our house, but we want it to smell extra good just for you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you got a party at your house? We, I know we haven't painted the house. We've been talking about it. And we only got 24 hours before the event happens. We're painting the house. We're painting the house. I'm going to the home repair store. I'm going to get all this stuff, and we're painting the house. I don't know how to paint. You're going to learn how. Watch a YouTube video while I'm gone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We're going to remodel the bathroom. Everybody's coming in that bathroom. We got to remodel it. We don't know how to remodel. We're going to learn how to remodel it. We're going we're gonna to overhaul all of the landscape in the yard. This is a famous one, especially if you're having an outdoor party. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, we're going to pressure wash the driveway. We are going to put mulch. My kids hated it. Anytime we had an event, I was buying pine straw, plenty of it, stacks, bales of pine straw. And they would come home from school and just look at it, and they were like, oh. Oh, are you serious? This past year, we had a, a graduation party for Judah, and I had a spot of grass that just would not grow. And it was driving me crazy, man, because I want my yard to look good because I got people coming. I don't know if they're going to walk all over my grass and kill it, but it's got to look good for when they get there. Come on, anybody with me? So I, I tried to go the cheap route, and I started about three weeks early, and I planted some seed. 
And it was taking forever to grow, man. And I was working it every day. I was trying to dethatch the lawn. Come on, you learn some things when you do this stuff. I was trying to dethatch the lawn, and I didn't have one of them little things to aerate it. So I'm walking around just poking holes in the ground. I'm watering it every day. Cynthia was like, this dude is ate up with this yard. And it wouldn't grow. And so one day I just decided, that's it. I'm going to get some sod. I'm going to get some sod. So I went to the nursery, and I got some sod, and I came home. And uh, if you ever put sod down, can I tell you, that's hard work. And and my hand was like this, like, for days. Anybody relate? Anybody ever put the sod down before? How many of you said that's the last time I put down sod? Can I get an amen? Yeah, I know, man. Put that grass down, man. Start watering it. It was beautiful, beautiful. It's almost dead now, but uh, it looked great for the party, man. And so when I, when I read this story, I go into this whole idea of what would I do if someone like Jesus was coming over to the house? You know, like what all would we do? Uh, we're not eating on Chinette when Jesus comes. We're eating on China. Now, we don't have China, but we're going to get some if Jesus is coming. Am I right? Come on, anybody relate? Any of y'all ever, people come over, you got to do it right. Like some of you are hosting Thanksgiving, and right now it's beginning to kick in. And you're thinking, huh. Always want a little fish pond in the backyard. <laughs> this is not the time to do that. Don't do it. Don't do that to your husband. Okay? Rake some leaves, man, but don't put out a fish pond. And so I think about these stories. When I read the Bible, I really try to get into the story and not just go by what I've always heard preached. But I'm trying to to get into the moment and feel what they feel and experience what they experience and try to relate. Like, what would I do if Jesus was coming? And I don't know if I would be Mary or more. I don't know who I would be. All I know is all my family would be so fed up with me because I would have a list of all the projects that I would want to get done within a short amount of time. And it's the last minute ideas that are the best. They are the best, man, because this takes it from like an eight to a t- like an 11, let's skip 10. This takes it from an 8 to an 11 to where when people come over, you got more than enough to talk about. You know what I'm saying? And so like when people came over for the graduation party, you know what I wanted to talk about? The sod. Some zoysia. they like, I don't know what that is. I'm telling you what it is. It's beautiful. Just, just something about it. It just takes it to the next level. And so that's how I would roll in this story. And so you got Mary who's there and you got Martha and it's pretty obvious Martha did the cooking. You know what I'm saying? And then there's Lazarus who's there. And honestly, if Lazarus is raised from the dead, I'm not putting nothing on him. You just sit in the easy chair. You hold the remote. You get the thermostat. None of us, Martha, you have no say. So I know it's hot in the kitchen, but whatever Lazarus wants, Lazarus gets because he died and he came back. So leave him alone. Anybody tracking with me? Everybody on the same page? And so I read this story, and there's really two key people in the story that I'm going to really focus on today. Because what happens in this story sets the legacy for both of them. Like, like after this happens, this is how we're remembering these guys from right here. This is, this is what we're thinking about them. And, and, and when we talk about legacy, this is simply what legacy is. It's what people remember when we're gone. And it's what God remembers when we're gone. I want that to settle a little bit. This woman, Mary, and there's a lot of debate because there are several Marys in the Bible, and it's hard to keep up with them because which one is which, am I right? 
And there's one of them that, that had a little history, and she had a sinful past. Can we say it that way? She, she had a little, uh, uh, a little thing going on. Can we just say it that way? I don't want to go too far because we got some kids in the room. And it's believed that this Mary was involved in some of that activity. I want you to, I want you to grab the, the fullness. There's a lot of debate about this, by the way. But it's believed that this woman, is, she was involved in this stuff. And she winds up being the one who pours this expensive perfume on Jesus to anoint him for his burial. And as we look into her life, we see that she is a worshiper. We see that she loves Jesus, and she has experienced forgiveness at a level that most people have not. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Like, like, can you see how the Lord has worked in this family is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what I want you to see, that this wasn't just some, some people that like heard about Jesus and thought he was a good guy and Jesus showed up one day. We see the hand of God and the work of God going on in this family so much to the point that this woman's life, her whole entire lifestyle is completely changed. Her brother's life has been raised from the dead. I mean, we got some things going on in this family and God is working in this family. And so you got Mary who is going to anoint Jesus' feet, but then we have Judas. And Judas had the privilege of being a follower of Jesus. He had the privilege of being a, a disciple that got to see miracle after miracle after miracle, all the different things that took place. He was the treasurer for Jesus' ministry, and so he saw God's provision. He saw so many amazing things, heard so many amazing sermons, and then we get to this story right here where he goes to this dinner and at this whole entire experience where this woman who God has completely redeemed and her brother that Jesus has raised from the dead and she is just wanting to honor Jesus so she chooses to anoint his feet which is so beautiful and Judas in the middle of it he, he says this is a waste. Now I want you to think of this. He says, this is, this is a waste. You could have taken the money and, and given it to the poor. And it almost sounds like he's trying to prove something to Jesus by saying it. It's almost like he, he's trying to, to talk with purpose. You know what I'm saying? He's trying to say, oh, what we could have done, the number of lives that could have been affected by these finances, we could have used them for a good purpose that could have changed people's lives. And, and you, woman, you want to take this and pour some oil on Jesus' feet. It's a waste. And he didn't realize that in his good idea, he was showing who he really was. He didn't realize that this was, this was becoming a defining moment because the scripture tells us he didn't care about the poor. He just wanted control of the money. He wanted to be able to control the money because he wanted access to it because, like they said, he was a thief. And one could describe this as Mary had a beautiful aroma that filled the room because she poured out this expensive perfume and the, 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 the whole entire room smelled beautiful. But you can say that Judas... He had a betrayal aroma that was filling the room. Two people and their legacy is being written in this moment. And both of them would have a legacy that would be remembered for generation after generation after generation. And it made me begin to think, whose legacy do we want to identify with? Like, I don't think any of us say, hey, I'm going to do the Judas thing. Am I right? None of us are like, no, I'm not. we all want to be Mary. Come on, I want to be like Mary. I'm a, I want to be caring and compassionate. 
I, 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 I want to be a giver. I want to honor the Lord. I don't want to be like Judas who's always complaining and, and got a little thing going on undercover that no one knows about. I don't want to be that guy. And most of the time we think that our legacy is determined by what we accomplish and what we earn. But in this moment, we're seeing beyond the accomplishments. We're seeing beyond the earnings. What we're seeing is people's heart. What we're seeing is true character. We're seeing it on display right there in front of us. And I want us to think about this word legacy because so many times when we hear about this word legacy, we relay it only to certain people. Like we never bring it into the fact that you have a legacy in your life. Like as we brought all these children up here today, I know there is a lot of different thoughts, but one of the thoughts that comes to mind is legacy. Because there are things that will be passed on from generation to generation to generation. And I get it. There are some things that you definitely won't pass on to your kids. Can I get an amen? But we all got some things. Come on, somebody. We all got some things that was like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want them to have that. And in this moment, this is what we're realizing. This whole episode with Mary and Judas, there's something that's being passed on for generation to generation to generation and in that moment, they didn't even realize. There's, there's moments in our lives that we can go to quickly. There's things that we remember from, from our childhood growing up, things in our family, things that we have experienced that we can go to so quickly that we remember because it's had such an impact on our lives. If we bring up the idea of who was the person that's had the most influence on you, it doesn't just bring you to a person, but it brings you to a place where something happened, something was said, something was done, something was demonstrated, something was taught to you that has affected your life still to this day. We could talk about the different things that occurred to us that hurt us still to this day, and that you don't even need a roadmap to get there. It's instant. As soon as we say, think of the person that's impacted your life. Think of the person that has hurt your life. You can go there like that. And from the perspective that we sit in, it's easy for us to think about the other people that may have been that to us. But do we consider the seat that we sit in and the impact that we may have on others around us? Like it's easy to sit in the place and say, I've been hurt by them. But it's a very difficult thing to stand in place and say, but I also have hurt them. Come on, am I talking to anybody today? It's easy for us to talk about what they did. But what about when we bring it home and start talking about what we are doing? Like, what are we doing right now? And all of this really comes into play when we begin to talk about legacy. And there's a lot of successful people out there. People are becoming successful doing all kinds of things. But if you look at the categories that they're becoming successful in, they're not really successful. Because people are figuring out ways to attain wealth. And they are wealthy when it comes to finances, but they are so poor when it comes to their spirit. They are wealthy with possessions, but the condition of their soul is in poverty. And we would look at them and we would honor them because they have gained so much and they were highly educated and they worked through the system and they had all of this stuff. And the Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world and what? Lose our own soul. We gained it all. We had success. And at the day of our funeral, they would say he was a successful man. And it's not what they would say. It's what would the people right there immediately around us say begin to talk about legacy it's not just what they think 
It's what he thinks. And the people who are closest to us, what are they saying? What are they thinking? See, our legacy is a reflection of who we are and not just what we do. It's a reflection of who we really, really are. And so you got successful people that so many would say, oh, he had a great business and his, his family business is a legacy for their family. But he may have not even had a relationship with his children. Come on. Oh, the, the, the family just had us. They were involved in so much. But if you look behind the scenes, they were falling apart. And they used the tape of activity. Come on. The tape of activity to hold it all together because mom and dad couldn't even sit in the same room for 15 minutes and have a conversation. So we had to stay busy. We had to keep doing things because we didn't know how to be home. Am I preaching to anybody today? So I started thinking about what would be the greatest achievement of our lifetime? Like, seriously, what would be the greatest achievement? And if we did a poll across the room and asked you what would be the greatest achievement of your lifetime, so many of us would write things if my dream was fulfilled. So many of us would say, I always wanted to do this, or I wanted to earn this much, or I wanted to have this house, or I wanted to live on this property, and we could go through all the things. And listen, none of that stuff's really bad. That's fine. But what if you get all of that and you lose you getting it? Like, that's the reality. And, and guys, this is what we see that's happening in the world. We're chasing so much stuff. And while we're chasing so much stuff, we're losing ourselves. We're losing our minds. We're losing our patience. Come on, everybody tracking with me. We're losing it on our kids. We're losing it on our spouses. We're losing it, man. And what is going on? At some point, we got to just blow the whistle, call a timeout, and look at this thing and say, what kind of legacy are we building with the life that we are living? What kind of home are we going to have if we keep rolling like this? What kind of marriage are we going to have if we keep running in separate directions, only coming together for that one kid activity once a week for about an hour and a half at the park on Saturday? Come on. So I started thinking, what would be the greatest achievement of our lifetime? And I think it's so much simpler than what we've made it out to be. Because I think the greatest achievement would simply to become who God wants us to be. Who God wants you to be as a man. Who God wants you to be as a woman. Who God wants you to be as a son, as a daughter. And not just who, but how he wants you to be. And not just conditioned according to what everybody else thinks. And everyone else says, but simply, God, who do you want me to be as a man? And who do you want me to be as a father? And if we can become that, then the legacy will write the story for us. Because it will be said that he became exactly who God wanted him to be. And if we become who God wants us to be, we're going to have the love that God has. We're going to have the kind of patience that God has. Come on, are y'all tracking with me now? It's not just about occupations, y'all. It's not just about careers. It's not just about financial gain. And all those things are important, but it cannot become more important than ultimately who God wants you to be as an individual. It cannot supersede. And we are living our lives at a pace that we are forgetting all about who God wants us to be to try to keep up in a world that is running out of control. 
And at some point, we'll get back to, at some point, we'll get to church. The average right now of church attendance is about once every six weeks. That is the average of going to church. So if you think about that, that's what, about eight times a year, if that? That's not even once a month, y'all. And this has become the average, which means everybody's fine with that. And what, what is it for? Why is that? It's because we're running, trying to stay occupied, perhaps because we're not who we need to be. We're trying to be everything else for everyone else. And that does, when we begin to talk about legacy, it kind of knocks on our door a little bit because it brings us to this place of perspective. And watch this. This is why I wanted to talk about this because this is the family time of the year. In a few weeks, you'll be gathering with family for Thanksgiving. Some fried turkey, cornbread dressing. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, let's go. Mm. And then we're going to get into Christmas. Come on. All the shopping, all the lights. That Ella Pearl's going to help me get down from the attic. I'm sure there's going to be a gumbo in there. Thank the Lord. But it's when we get together with family that's often the time that we start doing a little evaluation. And this is our conclusions. Watch this. Well, I know I don't want to be like that. I want you to think about it. Most of our direction is who we don't want to be like. Most of our vision for our family is what we don't want to be like. Most of the vision for our own lives is not our dreams, but it's what we don't want to happen to us. And today, I just want to bring us to the place that we, we, we kind of like shift our focus for vision from what's not working to what is working and what does work to where we're not just looking at what's broken to determine what we need to do, but we're able to look at what's right and say from that, let's build something great. Come on. Are you following with me today? Hebrews chapter six, verse nine through 12. And I, want, I wanted to read this to you today because it's so good. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. I'm reading this to you for you. I want you to hear it. We are confident that you are meant for better things, things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Come on, somebody needed this verse to be read to them today. Our great desire is that you will keep on. I know there's more to come, but I got to say this part. Our great desire is that you will keep on. Keep on. That you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. In order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, watch this, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises. There's your legacy. Because of their faith and endurance. The first part of this that got my attention was when it says you're meant for better things. Things that come with salvation. And sometimes we have limited salvation to, I'm sorry, get me out of this mess. Okay, I feel better. 
And salvation is so much more than I'm sorry. It's I'm changed. It's the power of God changing your life from the inside out. And if you will allow God to change your life, there is so much to come with salvation for you. Because God isn't just trying to keep you from going to hell. Amen? There's so much more to it. He wants you to help you. He wants to help you with your life on earth. Because your life has impact. You're not just breezing through, flying under the radar like an introvert. Nobody talk to me. Nobody talk to me. People are hearing you, whether you're speaking or not. People are watching. People are feeling. People are learning. They're influenced by you. And the question is, what are we doing with our lives? What are we doing knowing that there is a legacy, knowing that God doesn't forget our lives. He doesn't forget the effort. He doesn't forget the stretch that you went through in order to do that thing for him, in order to obey him, in order to take that step for him. He doesn't forget your hard work and your effort. But so many times we live like it doesn't even matter. It does. Because it's in those moments where your life is having so much impact. And if we're going to live a legacy life, here's the first thing. Legacy people have an eternal mindset. Meaning, I'm not just thinking about now. We live so much in the now. I'm not just thinking about now, but I want to live a legacy life. And in order to live a legacy life, I've got to look through a lens of eternity and not just through right now. Because there are things that you can justify and say it's okay for now, but when you look through the scope of eternity, you would say, I would never do that. And unfortunately, this is where our culture has drifted. It's more of what feels good now. Let's do it rather than let's look at the whole scope of things. Because my life, when I bring it before the Lord, he doesn't just see this. He sees it all. He sees all of us. Second Corinthians 4 says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but things we cannot see will last forever. And this verse, it's so much about perspective. It's about eternal perspective. It's a bigger picture. I want to say this to you today. This earth, this is not our home. We're just passing through to get to heaven. Heaven is home. And we do a better job trying to make life as great as we can on earth rather than thinking about one day I want to get to heaven. Can I tell you, if you make heaven your focus and living like you're going to heaven, it will change your life on earth. It will change the way you do things on earth in such a good way. This is what we mean when we say, I'm living with an eternal mindset. So watch this. Our goal isn't to live here on earth forever. It's not. But it's to leave something that will live on forever. I want to leave something, an example lives on forever. Here's the second thing. If we're going to be living a legacy life, legacy people understand sacrifice. we got to understand sacrifice. And I'll say it like this. Each one of us has benefited from someone who has given up something so that you can have something. Every one of us have benefited from it. People who have laid down their lives, people who have given their time, their energy, their resources for our benefit. They chose to do less for themselves so they could do more for others. 
See, when you begin to think a legacy life, when you begin to think eternity, it comes in conflict with selfishness. It tells you that in order for me to live the life that God has meant for me, in order for me to have a soul that is so full, that is so healthy, I cannot be selfish. But I've got to learn the value of sacrifice. Can I get an amen? And Jesus said it like this. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you try to hang on to it, you lose it. But if you give it up for his sake, what did he say? You will save it. You will save it. And that's where he says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? I'll say it like this. Real success isn't determined by what you get, but it's really determined by what you give up. By what you're willing to give up. When's the last time you told yourself no? Come on. No, because for the benefit of many, I have to tell myself, no. Sacrifice. There are so many people that have gone before us that we live in the privilege of because of their sacrifice. Come on. When I think about those who have served in our military, come on, man. When I think just about moms and dads that didn't have a whole lot but sacrificed so much, mom, why don't you get some new clothes? Because if I get new clothes, you won't have new clothes. Dad, when are you going to get a new truck? If I go get a new truck, you won't have a car to drive. Sacrifice. Giving up for the benefit of others. This is a legacy life. Where you realize that it's not all about me. It's bigger than me. And so many of us, we want to grow. We want to become all that God wants us to be. Sacrifice is the key. Sacrifice is the key. And we got the best example. Because no one sacrificed so much like Jesus did. When he laid down his life, the benefits still keep going. Are you willing to sacrifice? That's legacy. Here's the third one. Legacy people sense urgency. It means we're going to make the most of every day. Ephesians 5 says it like this. So be careful how you live. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, be careful. Look at your other neighbor and say, you really need to be careful. Because you didn't talk to me first. (laughs) He says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Watch this. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That whole one day I'm going to. One day I will. One day, one day, one day. Can I just go ahead and say it? Today is the day. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. There's an urgency. See, we've given ourselves this permission to believe that there's plenty of time for the things that really matter while we do all the other things. And today it's time to refocus on the things that really, really matter. That really, really matter. Because I got a feeling that your child needs you right now. In a way that the ballpark can't help them. In a way that the dance team can't really help them. Come on, can I say that? They need you right now. Your, your, your wife needs you right now, husband. 
you know, she got that group of ladies that she hangs out with, but she can't get from them what she needs from you. Wife, that husband needs you right now. I know you're busy with a lot of stuff with work and kids, but your husband needs you right now. He needs you. And we keep saying one day we're going to plan a trip. And it's been three years since we said we were going to plan a trip. Because we're so, let's just say it, we're so busy. We got a lot going on. I know, we got a lot going on. But what are we forfeiting, y'all, by having some entertainment? What are we forfeiting? from doing some fun stuff? What are we forfeiting? Things of purpose, things that last forever. What if we live like today is the day that we'll be remembered? What if we handle that situation like this is what's going to be remembered? What, what if that became our new way of handling things? Like the way I want to do that conversation, I want to do it in such a way that this is how it's going to be remembered. So that whenever years down the road, they can say, he could have gone off on me. But instead of going off on me, he loved me and helped me to change. He could have done it in such a way that I could have been waiting 20 years for him to say, I'm sorry. But he did it in a way that he didn't have to say he was sorry. He did it in a way that I, when he was finished, I said, thank you. See, that's the difference, y'all. That's the difference. Living like today really, really, really matters. And here's the urgency. Today is the day of salvation. And we don't realize the way and the the impact that you and I have on a person's salvation, especially as believers, because we get so caught up in living our lives that we forget that our life is an example of him. And that is our life really painting a good picture of the love of our Father? Is our life really painting a good picture of leading people to a changed life and leading people to a place where their, where their whole soul can be healed, where their families can be restored? Or like, are we realizing that today that could, my life could have that kind of impact on somebody? Today is the day. Do we realize that today is the day of salvation? You say, I got this good friend I've been praying for for nine years to be saved. Have you ever talked to him about Jesus? No, I just, I'm not good at that. Nine years. Nine years. Today's the day to have the conversation. And it should start like this. Hey, I've been thinking about this for the last nine years and I've never talked to you about it. And I've been praying for you. But today, I want to tell you about Jesus. Think about it, y'all. Today is the day. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. Today is the day to surrender your life to Christ. And you can go from being a sinner to being saved today. Today is the day that can change your life forever. Today is the day. Today is the day to share your faith. Today is the day to tell that person, I forgive you. Today is the day to ask that person, will you forgive me? Today is the day. See, legacy people, they live with a sense of urgency. And we live with a sense of weight. It's time to shift and begin to realize there's a legacy story being told. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as I finish. Um, one One of the honors that I get as a pastor, and I truly consider it an honor, and it truly is a privilege. I get to stand before families, I get to stand before friends. 
coworkers, neighbors. Whenever a person loses their life, they, I've been asked many times to do funeral services and celebrations of life. And I get to stand in front of these families and represent the person that has gone on to eternity. And it's one of the most beautiful but yet complicated moments for people, for families, for friends. Because in that moment, there's so much perspective. There's all the, I wish we would have, I wish we could have. And why didn't we in those moments? And I sit with families and I ask them, tell me about them. Tell me your experience. And some of those times are incredible. They're powerful because you see this legacy that is passed on. And other times it is so difficult because there's so much healing that needs to take place. And what I find in those moments is every family member, every person, they're looking for something. They're looking for something more than just they were a good person. They're looking for something that, to, to remember them by that was incredible, something that they can carry on with their life. And I don't share this with you to put a weight on you, but I share it from the perspective of the one Jesus who gave us life. And when he died, there's many stories that could be told. But the best story of it all is this, is that he laid down his life and he sacrificed his life and he gave us his best even though he saw us all at our worst. And I think about the moment where they were nailing him to the cross and he utters those words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And to think about the legacy of Jesus, the greatest example our Savior that we will ever know. That you and I get to be a part of his legacy. And watch this. His legacy isn't just for you, but it's lived through you. Your kids are figuring out Jesus through your life. Your co-workers are learning about Jesus through your life, not through your Bible study, but through your reaction to things happening, things going on in our world. They're learning. They're learning Jesus through us. And today, I just want to bring us back in the place that we begin to consider more than just right now, but we consider eternity. Today, when you leave this room, my prayer is that you say, Lord, I'm not just living for the now, but I'm living for eternity. And my prayer is that the person here that is unsure of their eternity, that today you would know today is, today is the day of salvation. And that by surrendering your life to the Lord, there's a legacy story that's being written with your life. There's a change that God wants to make in your life to forgive you and to give you a fresh start. And if you're here in this room today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've been away from the Lord, maybe other things have become more important to you. But today I want to bring us all to this place to where we make a commitment to the Lord. Maybe for some of you it's a recommitment, but you say, Jesus, from this day forward, I'm committing my life to you. And I'm not living the ways I've been living before. I'm going to live the way that you want me to live. Because I've learned that the greatest success of my life would be to become the person that you want me to be. And that's why God brought you here today. Because he wants to show you who you can be. You can be forgiven. You can be free. You can be healed. You can be changed. 
And God can write a legacy story that is worthy of being followed for generations and generations after you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want everyone in the room to repeat this prayer, and I want you to say it with them. Say, Dear Lord, thank you for going to the cross and paying the price for my sins. I didn't deserve this love, but you gave your life anyway. So today I make a decision. I commit my life to you. And instead of living my way, I'm going to live your way. I know I'll have to give some things up. And I know I'll have to lay some things down. But I know your ways are better than mine. So today I surrender my life to you. I'm all yours. I want to live my life to be who you want me to be. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiveness. And thank you for a new life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen, and amen. Amen.